We are in chapter nine or chapter twelve. It's easy to get lost in the details. I'm having a hard time keeping the chapter straight. I don't know about you, uh, much less all the details that we're finding here in this most interesting and challenging book uh, of Revelation. Uh, we began chapter twelve uh, last week, and as we studied. There were two signs that appeared. One was described as being a great sign and appeared uh, in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child and she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. Uh, And another sign appeared in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns And on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with a dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, He deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony And they did not love their life even to death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. We introduced this chapter last week and suggested that most likely the the clearest thing that seems to come to mind when we consider this first great sign of the woman that is a picture in essence ultimately of of Mary uh, ultimately birthing Jesus and in doing that birthing the church is obviously presented in chasmicological terms Uh, because we don't believe for a minute Uh, that there has actually been a woman who, or there will be a woman at one point who stands with her feet on the moon and is clothed with the sun. This book is full of symbolism, and we need to understand that. But when you read through there, the the first thing probably that comes to mind is this sounds a lot like the birth of Jesus. We talked last week about birth pains and Uh, And things like that. We're going to focus more this week upon the dragon. Now, who in this room has ever seen a dragon? Has anyone ever seen one? 
Please do me a favor. If you ever see one, call me because I want to come see it too. The truth is, no one in this room has ever seen a dragon, but we all know generally what dragons look like, right? They're these terrifying beasts. I mean, can you imagine anything more terrifying than a fire-breathing dragon? Large in dimension, and just, just, just with evilness and, and wickedness seething forth from it. We know most of what we know about dragons from Walt Disney and possibly from the Tolkien books, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Isn't it amazing when you go to the movies today and and, and most of us can remember back when maybe you went to see the Godzilla movie and Godzilla was just this rubber blown up kind of thing that you could see someone was kind of moving along and how fakey all of it was, but at the same time it was... Very entertaining for us. But one of the most amazing things about filmatics today is is how real they can make even the most unbelievable things look. Dragons look as if they actually become dragons. This one had seven heads and ten horns. And on his head were seven diadems. Seven, we know, represents perfection. We find it all through the book of Revelation. Horns, very often in Scripture, and in particular in the visions of Daniel, you find that horns there represent earthly kingdoms. Kingdoms that existed on earth at one time or another. I want to make a distinction between these diadems. As some, some translations just say a crown, and at the same time, the woman had a crown upon her head. But it's a totally different Greek word that's used here. For her, it was a stephanos, which basically means a wreath, a wreath of victory very often. And it's also the term that is applied to the crown of thorns that Jesus not the crown that we're used to thinking about as a crown of royalty, of kingship, of queenship. The dragon, on the other hand, the crowns on his head are diadems. What we would think of as kingly crowns. Crowns of royalty. Now we understand this. That there have always been those who would claim kingship or queenship. Even though they had no right to it. And we need to understand that the evil one, as described in places, is the father of this world. Some places of him ruling. Now we understand this. We know as well that these crowns that he has, they're false crowns. They're not real crowns. That there's a sense in which he's tried to make himself king. Do you, well, when this all began and this, this, this story or this 
passage that we've just read this morning alludes to all of this. This is kind of in the background. We're going to see a shift in history come here shortly that goes back in time. A time when, when Lucifer rebelled against God and attempted to overthrow God. And to raise himself above God most high. And we know the result of it. Well, we know this. We know that when he, when he, did, when he did that, he was not alone. That there were some of the angels, some of the rest of the heavenly hosts that sided with him. And we've seen it alluded to here very often. In scripture, stars refers to angels. And we see here that there was a time when they were cast down upon the earth. And that's what's being referred to here. Castell swept away a third of the stars of heaven. Is that saying literally a third of the angels fell when Satan fell as well? Could be. But just remember this, very often numbers in Revelation are not intended to be taken literally. What we could say is this, that it wasn't just one or two. There was a good number, a large percentage of the heavenly host that joined him in this rebellion. And when he was cast down to earth, they were cast down as demons. Right along with him. Remember we studied the abyss. Remember that? And a lot of people think that the abyss is the home of the demons. But, but we know this. The demons don't like the abyss. And as a matter of fact. The, the demons called legion. In the gospels. Beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss. That they want to be here in this world. And as they're here in this world. They're occupied with tormenting people. This dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth for the purpose of devouring her child. Now, we don't understand that literally. But we do understand this. That the greatest opposition to Jesus Christ is Satan. We know that he did everything when, that he could. During his life here in the world. To destroy him. We all know we're very familiar with Jesus going into the wilderness. Where he was tempted by Satan. And we know that, G, that, 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 that Satan was defeated there and he left, waiting for a more opportune time. And, you know, we study the Gospels and they never say this anywhere, but we know that Mary and John and, uh, and, and another Mary, they were standing near the, the foot of the cross of Jesus and they were grieving and they were crying. And we know this at the same time that Satan was possibly there too because he's a spiritual being, right? So he can be present and us not even know it. He's in an entirely different realm than we are in. 
that you can imagine he was rejoicing at the cross of Christ. Probably there was a sense in which he felt like he wanted to claim victory over the Son of God in that whole process. She gave birth to a son, a male child. And let me tell you, this is one of the reasons I'm convinced this is an allusion to the birth of Jesus through Mary. is because of this. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule who? All the nations with a rod of iron. Psalm 2. Immediately after, God says, you are to, my son, today I have begotten you. You will rule the nations with an iron rod. That can be applied to no one else. The child was caught up to God and to his throne. How many times have we studied the, you know, over this book of Revelation of the heavenly throne room and, 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 and the Lamb of God appearing there as if he were slain? And we know that the Son of God, even though he was slain and he did die, he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven and he was received into the heavenly throne room and he is sitting, as we're speaking right now, in physical form at the right hand of God the Father and all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. These things cannot be applied to anybody else, but only to Jesus himself. And we know that, that Satan has done everything he can to defeat Christ all along. And we know that Satan is doing everything he can do today to defeat us. Because we're Christians. There's a lot of persecution that takes place in the book of Revelation. And that persecution always has to do with the people of God suffering. Always. No exceptions. But there's something else that has to be said when we say that. That at the same time, even though the church has been persecuted and sometimes very grossly and, and, and to a large degree persecuted, God has always, always protected the church. That as hard as the world has tried, as hard as Lucifer, Satan, the red dragon, whatever you want to call him, has tried. In every generation, in every age of the church. And there have been times 
when it looked very much like he was going to win. For instance, in the days of the Reformation, this is what we ought to be rejoicing in today, is the, the Protestant Reformation that took place back in 1500s, because if it were not for that, if it, nothing else happened after that, if we were still sitting where people were in those days, you and I would be in the dark when it comes to just about everything that has to do with the kingdom of God and the word of God and the church. You and I would not be here today doing what we're doing in the same sense of doing what we're doing. We talked about this in Sunday school to a great extent this morning. And one of the biggest issues in those days was this. is for 1,500 years, the church itself had withheld the word of God from the people. Made up its own rules and regulations. And what brought things to head in the 1500s was the fact that there were scholars who, who got their hands on Scripture and they began to read the Bible and to measure things up and they found almost nothing the church was doing that was founded in Scripture at all. All man-made invention. And the light of the Word of God Spread like wildfire through Europe, through Germany, through France, through Switzerland. Eventually, in England, in Scotland. Can you imagine, imagine... How refreshing it would have been to to live in those days and suddenly to hear and read the precious things, those gems that God had intended for you to hear all along and people had willfully kept those things from you. with their own wicked and sinful advantage. See, I would say that this picture of the woman fleeing into the wilderness, and we need to remember, too, that wilderness very often has been a place of preparation that God has used for people. He did it with Moses. He did it with David. He did it with Elijah. He did it with Jesus. Time in the wilderness. And what I'm telling you guys, in the early 1500s, the church in the world was a wilderness devoid of God's word. But you can't keep it down. Can't keep it out forever. God has spoken and God will speak. He always has. He always will. And He speaks to you and I today because we have these holy sacred scriptures before us. And we've give, been given the freedom to have 50,000 copies of it if we wish to. I don't know how many Bibles I have. 
but I'm sure you have quite a few yourself. I mean, we have precious freedoms today. And one of the things that we celebrate so often is the good old U.S. of A. Because we do have all these freedoms, freedom of speech and, uh, and, and many, many other related freedoms. And, and one of those freedoms that we get in freedom of religion. We can practice our religion and we can, we can study the word of God and we can read the word of God and we sh- can share the word of God and there is no penalty or ramification, nothing negative. Maybe some person might get upset with us because we quote a scripture every now and then. But that's the extent of it. Because our brothers and sisters stood in that critical time. They had no choice. And a good many of them died. Horrible deaths. Burned to death. Can you imagine anything so bad? Takes a little time. And it's got to hurt. Every generation, God has called his people to stand forth. To stand strong. To stand with him. To stand for him. He calls every one of us in that same light today. Our circumstances are different in some ways. But in other ways, they're not different at all. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. What I would say is this, is, is there's persecution coming, but there's, there's also a place of protection, and that is in God's hands. That when it comes to Luther and some of the Swiss reformers, when they were brought to trial, they had options. Sometimes options just not to go. And they knew where it could end. But they understood something. And that was it wasn't a matter of choice. They had no choice in the matter. None. It was God's calling for them. And every one of them, as they went and they stood, and this happened to many, many, many of our brothers and sisters, they stood before courts that had power to take their life. And rather than yield and give in, they stood with their Lord. And some of them died. Many of them spent time in prison. Some of them, there were no consequences at all. Because they knew that even though they might take their body, they can't have their soul. Because their, its owner is the Lord himself. And when you're in God's hands, they can't take you away. You are his eternally. 
nourished for 1,260 days. Well, you may have sat down some time to figure this out, but 1,260 days is 42 months. It's 3.5 years. Also from here, it also is equal to what's called a time, times, and half a time. So what is it? Is it a literal time? Are we supposed to, to believe that, that, that Mary was scarfed away after Jesus was born for 1,260 days in the wilderness? Is that what we're supposed to glean from this? I don't think so. I think that this is probably a reference as we've, we've read these other Time references, it's a reference to the same period of time. And I would say to you, there's good reason to conclude that it's just a reference to the church age or the time between the first and second coming of Jesus. A time when there will be persecution and etc. Because you're going to see this, that Satan is going to come to this place and he's going to persecute her where she is. But at the same time, there is protection. God's protection. Verse 7, there is a clear shifting here. I don't know if you noticed this as we were reading through here. The focus shifts. It's no longer upon the woman, which we believe ultimately is a picture of the church. It's no longer on specifically the sun. It's no longer of things going on here on earth. There was a war where? On earth? No, in heaven. In the heavenly realm. One of the things I hope that we all understand from Scripture, and that is the physical things that we see manifested in this world are very often only a reflection of realities that are taking place in the heavenly realm. Have you guys read Ephesians chapter 6 lately? I want to read it for you, just a little bit of it. This is Paul writing to the Ephesian church. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of who? Against the schemes of the devil, the dread dragon. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, this battle raged in the days of John. It raged in the days of the Apostle Paul. It's still raging in our day. We're gonna, it's going to continue until that time of the ultimate and absolute defeat of Satan comes. It hasn't come yet. It will come. But in that, during that time, until he comes, he's, 
His spirit, in a sense, is here. The spirit of Satan is here. The demons are here. They are working against Christ. They're working against the church. They're persecuting the church to the utmost. As much as they're allowed to. In every age. Our age is uh, is different than others in some ways. But it's just like every other age in many others. It is happening. It is ongoing. When was the last time you even thought about putting on the armor of God? It's really hard, I think, in ways to live in the times like our time. Because truth is this, is most of us, yeah, maybe... I've been mildly persecuted a little bit in my lifetime. Somebody said something nasty to me one time because I was a Christian. Most of us can't say we've really been persecuted. Has your, has your life ever been threatened? Have you been, ever been threatened of being thrown into prison for calling yourself a Christian? Is it even in your mind that you might give your life today because you're a Christian? Because you refuse to give up the name of Jesus? Is that even part of your concept of what today's going to be like? It's very easy. Why has God allowed persecution of the church through the years? I think one of the reasons is this is when there's no persecution, it's very easy to become complacent. To forget about important and precious things. To get wrapped up in our own little world. Rather than understanding there's a lot that goes on that goes way beyond us. That if it were not for the blood of Jesus would make us absolutely and totally insignificant in the scheme of things. What's being depicted here is this, is what we talked about before. Michael was an angel. He's mentioned in Daniel chapter 10 as well. He's a fallen angel. Oh, no, he's not a fallen angel. I'm sorry. He stands against the fallen angels. He's like a general with the heavenly hosts fighting the fight. I want you to notice something here. That Michael is not on the defense. Michael is on the offense. Not sitting around waiting for it to come to him. He takes the fight to Satan and those fallen angels. He waged war against the dragon, Satan, Lucifer, Abaddon, Apollyon, the evil one. 
the devil. And those fallen angels who are now demons. And see, there's been a partial judgment that has taken place upon them already. In the fact that they were cast out of heaven. They were cast out of the heavenly realm. You think back to the book of Job. One of the most amazing things is that Lucifer, that the devil appears, you know, in heaven. (laughs) To bring accusations about Job to God. To challenge God with this whole picture of Job. That can't happen anymore. He never appears in heaven anymore. He's been thrown out forever. He used to occupy a high position in the heavenly places. No more. He is in this world now. This is where he is. Still living and acting and doing in the spiritual realm. And the same thing is true with those stars that fell with him. They've been crushed. They just have not been utterly and absolutely crushed just yet. They are here to wreak havoc. They are here to do everything they can to entice you to leave the Lord, to give up on the Lord, to forget about his word, to not read his word, to not learn his word, to not speak his word, to not listen to his word. Remember the Reformation. Reformation is always good. The devil hates your guts. The devil abhors you. He would chew you up and swallow you in a blink of an eye if God allowed him to do it. You exist in part because God has protected you from the evil one. Does that mean that your life is always going to be hunky-dory and just a bed of roses and, and all of that? And the answer to that is that would be ridiculous for anybody to conclude that. Jesus said, in life you will have tribulation. Period. But always remember this, regardless of what comes, because we don't know what's coming down the pike. We could have that opportunity to be martyrs. You understand that? That could come in our time. What will we do? I know what I'd like to think we would do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that if our life was right on the line, that we would do what we think we would do. 
there were a lot of people who gave up on Jesus verbally, probably not internally, but verbally, to save their life, to save their family from imprisonment, to save themselves from imprisonment. And there are people that have died in the past. There are people who are dying today. There will be people who will die in the future probably. Up until the day Jesus comes, and we have good reason to believe that this great tribulation that everyone is talking about is, is a period of greater and severe persecution of the church that takes place immediately before Jesus comes. And what I'm telling you is this, is we have good reason from the word to believe things are going to get worse before they get better. That's exactly how Jesus describes these things in the Olivet Discourse. But then he comes. And he will come. But the battle is going to rage until he does. It's not one of those things we can say, well, that battle's got to do with other people. I don't want any part of it. I don't like fighting, so on and so on and so on. It's just not my bag. God's called other people to that. You heard me say this before, that uh, the closer you walk with Jesus, the more likely you are to get enemy fire. And if we're not getting any, any fire... Maybe it's because we're not walking close enough with Jesus. Maybe we're just staying in a comfort zone. We're staying in that place where we can feel comfortable where we're at and, you know, and all that. And things just don't really, you know, upset my little world too much and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I had lunch this week with a, a young man. I know his father vaguely went to, went to school with him. And actually, I know his brother, his uncle, too. They were brothers. Uh, He and his wife came and visited the church last year, the year before that. They're in Rotterdam, Amsterdam now as MTW missionaries. They are there to plant a church. They're making headway. I had a great conversation with this young man. They're struggling financially. The reason he's home is because they don't have enough money coming in to make their bills. And MTW brought him home to raise more money. I cried at that table. Because here we have a young family. They have two small kids that have given up this comfortable, cozy life to go to a place they don't know anybody in to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is a shame they have to come home to raise money. Last thing I did was hug him and thank him for being willing to go.
the church needs to stand with people like that. We don't have a choice. So what are we going to do?